Hey there, it's Jeff, the host of the Mind Access Connection. It's a series of empowering conversations with purpose-driven, impactful experts from across the world. Join us as we discuss the realm of personal growth to provide you positive and actionable insights into self-improvement. You know, do you want to tell us, you know, what is it you do? Who do you help? And uh, yeah, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So my name is Emma. I am 23. I graduated from university, ooh, I guess almost a year ago, which is pretty exciting. Um, but since then, I've been working on my coaching business. So majorly, I work with women on self-leadership and embodiment. So we go into their conditioning from their past, different role models of success that they've seen over life. And we start to peel back all those layers that we pick up over our life that aren't really us. That kind of set us up for whether we're going to be successful in what we want to do or whether we're going to fall into constant self-doubt. Mm, it's kind of that's the a good one. Yeah. What would you say is the most common kind of um, thing that people peel back or you help them peel away to release their authenticity, release their authenticity. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, a lot of the time I, I think what people see growing up is either a single parent or just the parent figures in their household hustling really hard and usually talking about how money is really hard to make and there's never enough of it and there's not enough to go around. And so one thing that I really see people, especially women stepping into, is this hyper independent leadership where it's like, I need to be able to do it myself. I need to be financially independent now. I don't need anyone else's support. Um, I need to constantly have this incoming flow of money in order to be successful. And then what's really fun to get into with that is, okay, well, what number needs to be in your bank account for you to feel happy? Like if that number drops below a certain point, are you no longer gonna consider yourself successful? And then it's usually, well, no. Okay, well then what are the other factors that play into your success? So I'd say like, when it comes to finances, that's one of the big things. Because a lot of what I see in my work is artists who want to peel back these layers. Because it's a non-conventional path, right? And so something that you really have to get into when you're talking about, you know, being in video, graphic design, being an artist, being a coach, being a painter, a baker, any kind of entrepreneur is that idea of success and what finances really mean to you. So that's a big one for sure, yeah. That's that's a massive one, especially as an entrepreneur, an artist. Um, if you try and define yourself to society standards of success, uh, it can be can be very hard. Um, and what you said there really touched, um, you know, even upon myself as well. Like growing up, all I watched was my parents hustle, right? And for a very long time, I thought that was the person I needed to be. But there's many different ways to skin a cat, if you know what I mean. And yeah. <laughs> once you're clear. You know, like there's once you're clear on like what it is you want, you know, you don't have to look at the metrics. I mean, obviously you have to survive, so you have to kind of look at it. But the right. ulterior goal is beyond the metrics. It's like what you actually want your life to look like. So I absolutely love that. And I also love that you segue a little bit into the topic of today's chat, which is going to be about mm -hmm. family social dynamics, which um, I personally think is so relevant, especially in the world today, yeah. um, you know, where you see so much trauma and people affected by it. And they don't realize how they're affected by it. So this is going to be a really powerful episode. Thanks, so too. Yeah, so, um, well, I want to ask you to begin with, like, how does childhood impact our psychology? You know, I mean, there's many ways it does it, but particularly in terms of this conversation, what's the most powerful way do you think it impacts us? The way that we relate to other people and the way that we understand mm -hmm. love, I'd say. 
So like diving into an example of that, using that for myself, my, my dad was always at work and my mom was at home. And something that really ended up happening, something that ends up happening usually to people who have one parent at home and one parent who's out or people who have a single parent is you can kind of get into this thing where you either identify with one, with one parent way more than the other or the parent that's taking care of you, you're constantly fighting with because they're the one that's always instructing you. So in my example, something that I really picked up in my family dynamic was when I started to get more independence, like I lived in my own place, I was building my own friendships, my own relationships. I was kind of understanding who I should be based a lot more on my dad and my mom, because I saw more sides of my mom growing up. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be exactly like that. I want to be like pieces of that. But I would see the way mostly that my dad would relate to people in a social setting because I would see my dad when he was rejuvenated after having rested at home. He would be a lot more posty, like when we had people over, whereas my mom would use that as a break. And so I thought, okay, well, I want to be a lot more like that. And then picking up these different dynamics of how one parent operates versus the other, that can get into a whole different conversation on how we understand our own needs and how we're going to meet the needs of other people and the way that we're going to build relationships through our life yeah that's that's powerful and thank you for sharing that um about how you know that interplayed for yourself as a child and you know even like you know where you're at today does it feel like you still kind of carry on those patterns once you became aware with it or do you feel like it segued into a different path for you um i would i would say i'm at the point where i've kind of realized both my parents are incredibly flawed people (laughs) um yeah the big the big thing for me was Um, a realization I had was by using my dad so much as a role model without really understanding what I wanted to be as a leader for myself, I fell into this like hyper masculine kind of thing, which is what I was talking about before. A large thing that I'll focus on with women is like, I want to do it by myself. I don't need to open up. I can be focused. I can be honed. I can be ambitious. And it's like, okay, but what if there's this whole other piece to the puzzle where you also get to be dreamy and you get to be very flowy and you get to be kind of sensual and soft as a woman. And that doesn't mean that you aren't powerful. And I think that's a dynamic that is something like we still carry out in like our, our lives today. Like you and me, our generation, the generation below us. I think it's very much, we're seeing a bit of a shift in leadership, but there's like, there are these expectations where women are supposed to be one thing, you know, we're, we're expected to be very soft. But now there's a shift where you're expected to be like a bad bitch, independent, I don't need no man. Or if you're a man, you've typically been expected to be very hardcore, you know, basically raise the farm kind of thing from from history. Um, And now there's a push for men to be a lot more soft and a lot more gentle and a lot more embodied and in touch with their mental health and emotions. And I think the bridge that we can really build there is we all have masculine and feminine aspects in us. We all have different elements of of leadership. We're part light, part dark, we're part good, part bad. And we can really bridge into all of that to find our own understanding of leadership and our own understanding of success. And it doesn't have to look like what our parents put out. But I think so many of us just don't have examples of the kind of leader we want to be to make it easy to naturally fall into that. So I would say... I'm at the point where I, I've definitely taken pieces from both of my parents that I recognize to be really good. And I definitely want to bring that into my life, into my family. But I've also seen parts where I've realized, okay, these are some pieces that they didn't get that I really want to make sure I give myself so that that's not a blind spot for me. 
what you mentioned there was very powerful in terms of um, integration, right? Picking masculine and feminine traits because realistically, you know, they are very different. I mean, um, yeah. you know, a lot, a lot of modern trends might have us believe otherwise, but they, they are very different. It's like <laughs> the sun and the moon. And the thing is, is they're so different, right? Um, but the thing is, like, society has, like, created a format where, you know, we're all to hustle. It's all towards, like, the hustle culture of being a certain sort of person to be able to exist in the world. And there is a certain construct of person that that is, you know, like someone who might climb the corporate ladder, someone who might, you know, just do all they can to get somewhere rather than be where they are and kind of, like, figure that out over time. And, yeah. you know, when you reject a portion of yourself um, to try and aspire to be one specific thing by defining that, then that's kind of like leading into shadow work already because you're kind of abandoning a part of yourself um, that is, you You know, about, yeah, exactly. You're leaving a part of yourself behind and then that keeps popping up and that's where sabotage, um, self-sabotage really, really comes from. So I thought it was really interesting that you kind of talked about that because um, that's something good to segue into as well is um, what are your thoughts on shadow work and how it interplays in people's lives? I think I think shadow work is completely unavoidable but so under-recognized because I, I think that if there's something you're scared of that you refuse to look at, it's just going to get bigger because you're not understanding it, you're not grappling with it. And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, like if we go through a breakup, the first thing someone's going to tell you is it's going to be okay, don't be upset, they don't deserve you, you'll find someone better. And it's like, well, no, my sadness is not a bad thing. I get to recognize that. I don't have to push that down. I don't have to be scared of that. Let's let's validate how I'm feeling at this moment to actually process through that instead of pushing down this painful emotion. But when we get into not focusing on shadow work, what we really start to think about is, okay, there's this painful part of me that maybe I don't understand, this thing that triggers me to something, sets me off, this part of myself that makes me uncomfortable, and I'm just not going to look at it. What that's going to do is that's going to carry forward manifested in your personality, in the way that you treat people, the opportunities that you choose, the way that you do everything in your life. And like you said, I really loved your point on self-sabotage. It's going to come out in your self-sabotage. But the way that I that I perceive the shadow is it's not bad. It's like it's like the equal and opposite half of you that's almost kind of trying to destroy you in any way that it can to help you be stronger. Right. It's like. It's like the side of you that wants to find your weak spots to show you where the leaks are coming through to be like, oh, look at that. I found that before anyone else did, because that's the thing. If someone else on the outside world finds where your shadow points are, they have so much power over you. Right. Like if you're in, let's say you're in a workplace and you're me when I'm 18, because when I was 18, I was very much I was in my shadow when I was 18 years old. I needed to prove myself to the outside world. Um, but let's say I was in like a corporate job and I'm like, I'll do anything. I want to hustle hard. I want to prove myself. I want to just do this job really well. And someone comes along who's naturally charismatic and they start playing around and having fun and people love them. I'd be so triggered by that because my shadow, my inability to validate this part of myself internally would be playing out in my personality. I wouldn't be able to be naturally charismatic because I haven't, I haven't integrated whatever it is that I'm not looking at. And that's the thing is it's not bad to integrate a dark piece of yourself because if you don't have any dark pieces of yourself, you're a very one dimensional human being and there's not really anything that you can do. Um, and I think we all need to recognize that we have a chaotic, dark, destructive side, especially as creative people, 
because if you don't have a chaotic, dark, creative side as a creative person, you're not going to be able to do any art because art naturally is destruction. Art is abstraction. Art is bringing together ideas into something that don't exist yet, which means you can't play in any kind of standard, which means you have to really recognize the parts of yourself that might be a little bit crazy, that might be a little bit uncomfortable, and really use that to channel the creativity that you want to. So I think, I think yeah, that's a long-winded answer for me, basically saying I think shadow work is absolutely essential, and I love it. <laughs> no, I love that you said that. Like, that's a great explanation of what shadow work is. And also leading into what you said at the end about art, it's true, you can't be an artist without having a connection to your chaotic, right? Because art is about destroying conventionality. And if you can't destroy conventionality, then what you put out is always going to be generic. It's not going to be resonating with as many people. But if you understand all the pain points of yourself, then it's a lot easier to understand other people. That's what we do as coaches, right? Because Coaching is about having to understand yourself first before you can understand anyone else. Like it's not like a, it's not a straightaway thing. So when you go through this process, you're able to really understand yourself to the deepest possible level and then extrapolate that on the world. And you mentioned that when you were 18 and in the workplace and you might see someone come in and they might really piss you off because they're a certain way. Uh, I totally get that too. Like when I used to work in the office, you feel insecure because you're not that guy or you're not that person. And it's like, why? Why do I reflect that? But then when you come to the core level, it's because there's some part of yourself that you're abandoning that makes you want to be like that without accepting yourself first. I think it's a, that's a really powerful discussion we just had. Now, yeah, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious in terms of like um, family social dynamics, if somebody has, you know, gone down a certain pathway where they've taken on these characteristics and, you know, over time, it's very hard to change yourself, right? The longer time goes on before you become aware, mm. it gets more set in stone. How would you recommend to somebody that, you know, is starting to realize the glimmers to be able to come to a point of awareness where they might be able to undo some of the, dynamic, the dynamics they followed? Mm -hmm. um, as soon as you notice the shadows coming up, of like, oh, that's my mom saying, why am I thinking like this? What's Because that's a, that's a big part of how it happened for me, was I would have this narrative in my head. First of all, I'd say pay attention to the narratives. Pay attention to what you're telling yourself. Pay attention to the language that you're using to describe things. And then ask yourself if that's actually what you believe or if that's someone else's idea in your head. And if it's someone else's idea in your head, really work to break that apart. Really rewrite that narrative and then consciously practice saying that. Write it down. Um... But yeah, pay attention to where your stories are coming from. And then first and foremost, I'd say every time you notice yourself doing something in line with a family dynamic that you want to change, stop doing anything. Stop doing it. Focus on who you're being in that moment. So let's say um, I'm, I'm driving down the street and I see someone wearing a certain outfit and I think, oh, she shouldn't be wearing that. She doesn't have the body type for that. I'd recognize, oh, wait a second. That's my mom talking about that. That's not the narrative that I want. Okay, I'm going to rewrite that narrative later, but right now I'm going to focus on who I'm being. Right now I'm being very judgmental and critical and harsh and outwardly focused. How can I be a little bit more in touch with beauty right now? I'm like, wow, what a beautiful sunny day it is. Wow, that's a cool shirt. You know, like you don't have to completely rewrite the narrative. You don't have to be completely okay with whatever it is that's just going on in your head. 
But bringing it away from that story that you're telling yourself and focusing on the actual kind of person that you're being in that moment is is a lot better. Especially when we get into conversations like you're arguing with a partner or you're trying to find a new partner or you're explaining something in a difficult conversation to a loved one. If you start to feel yourself kind of falling into the family dynamic, the way that conversations usually go, which like, let's say conversations don't usually end well in your house. If you find yourself ending up in that, pause when you notice yourself going into that pattern and focus on being the embodiment of what you want to see the other people do. Because that's really the powerful thing about shadow work and embodiment inner work is you have to go first to set the example for other people. And I know you and I have talked about this before, Jeff, like it's never your responsibility to change other people, but by being the leader, by being the self leader that goes first and is the embodiment of the kind of person that they want to meet, that's how you really start to change those family dynamics. You know, that's a really great one. Being the kind of person you want to be. And that's a lot about like vision building as well, right? Because a lot of the time a vision is associated with like what you want to do. But personally, and how I work with my clients, it's like, who do you want to be? Because what you do can change. Yeah. Like we live in a world of like realistically a million options, right? So if you yeah. are a certain, if you want to be a certain person, what you do would change over time. So how would you say that someone might, you know, in a certain moment where they're really acting out a conditioned behavior, how might they be able to become aware of who they want to be? I mean, especially if they get intrigued, like what are some techniques that they could use? Mm -hmm. I really like to tune into my body and I encourage my clients to do that as well when that's happening. So of course, like if you're getting triggered in a moment, that's a very sensory thing. I'd say mm -hmm. first and foremost, in the moments where you're not triggered, build a practice of tuning into your body. I personally, I have a yoga mat in front of a coffee table and then at that coffee table, I have a journal. That's where I do my morning journaling. I have some plants. I have some candles, a little statue, just stuff that makes me feel very peaceful. And that's the place that I go to intentionally to meet my emotions. I'll go there sometimes in the happiest mood. I'll sit there and I'll start to think. Maybe I'll meditate. Maybe I'll do yoga. And sometimes I start to cry. And sometimes I wrap myself in a blanket after not even realizing that's what's going to happen. But having a place that you go to, I especially like having a physical place. Because in your mind, it's like, okay, in the rest of the world, I can do whatever I'm doing right now. But if I have this physical place where I go, that's where I meet my emotions. That's where I'm safe. That's where I completely disarm and that's okay. And that's something that you can practice when you're doing the dishes. You can practice it when you're cleaning the toilet. You can literally practice embodiment at any time of the day because it's something about who you be. It's not something about what you do. So building that practice when you're not stressed out, when you're not triggered is really going to help you transfer it over to when you are triggered, because then you're going to have more of an awareness of, okay, I feel my heart rate racing a little bit more right now. There's some blood rushing to my cheeks. My, maybe your tongue is getting a little dry. Your hands are getting a little clammy and it's, oh, I'm triggered right now. I know how to do that. I know I need to breathe a little bit more. I need to take a step back. Maybe I need to ask for a pause in the conversation. Maybe I need to get better at articulating my language so that I can powerfully ask someone for that pause without them feeling like I'm pushing them off, right? And then it opens the doors to so many other things. There's, there's stuff like that, right? Like maybe meeting your emotions involves getting a little bit better at describing your feelings or getting a little bit better at recognizing the needs of other people, right? It just opens doors for so many things. So I'd say if you're looking to practice this more in your daily life, definitely when you're not triggered, really start to pay attention to your body a lot, really connect with your body. Do you feel like emotions are stored within the body to a certain degree? 
and that over time of not being able to work through them can cause certain ailments for you as well. I think I think emotions are like compressed gas and a lot of us bottle up emotions and eventually when that happens we have to let them explode. Um, but I'm a big fan of an idea I actually learned about in Stephen Kessler's book, The Five Personality Patterns. But he talks about how over the course of our life, we develop trauma responses. And one thing our bodies will do is in certain situations, we'll learn to tense up in a certain way. And then when anything else similar happens, we generalize that response and our body still tenses up. So I know for me particularly, I lived the first probably two thirds of my life like this with my shoulders up to my ears. And it wasn't until I was about 18 that I was like, wow, I can relax all of these muscles in my shoulders I didn't know I had. I carry stress in my shoulders. I carry stress in my hips. But long term, if we think about that, what does that trauma response do? Let's say every time you hear a door slam, it reminds you of slamming doors in your house when you were five years old. Like even if you're at a Starbucks and the door slams, you tense up. What is that doing to your body long term? It's probably going to restrict blood flow if you're holding your muscles a certain way. It's probably not going to let you build strength in those muscles if you're trying to work out at the gym because those muscles are just constantly tight, can't access them. Um, You're not able to bring more oxygen to those things. Yeah, so absolutely. I think long term it can cause all sorts of ailments, especially when it comes down to breathing. Like so many of us don't take a deep breath once per day. It's like Mm. how much of your body is not getting proper oxygen because you're not taking a deep breath? Or over the course of 50 years, what is your heart going to do if you're constantly letting it go into fight or flight? So, yeah, absolutely. I think long term, there can be so many elements that come from just not practicing this piece. That's a really good point about, um, you know, going into fight or flight and not taking a deep breath. Not many people um, do that all the time. Even myself, I don't really think about going and taking a deep breath like because I'm breathing. I don't really sit down and think, okay, I should take a deep breath. But whenever I train at the gym is when I get a lot of oxygen into my body and I feel awesome after every single yeah. time. It's like, that, that's why I'm addicted to training really because it just, you know, makes me feel great. But yeah, something you said there was really, really, um, it resonated with me too. So, you know, when you mentioned uh, you went through most of your life with like your, sh- your shoulders hunched like this. Well, mm-hmm. for a lot of my life, I went um, kind of like hunched, like hunched like this, like always hunching down because during my schooling days I was put down a lot and I was bullied and things like that and even at home as well things were tough so I always learned to like really hunch myself in as much as possible like hunch and I used to like keep my arms like this right so even when I used to work in the office like I was always just hunched and then these last few years you know I've been training a lot gone to a chiropractor and more than that just become confident in myself and now it's like impossible to be hunched my back is always absolutely 90 degrees straight because I've become aware of that fact that it was a lack of confidence. It was a fear. It was literally a fear of the world around me. And that did cause problems for my back as well. That's why I had to go to a chiropractor every two weeks for a long time. Uh-huh. Just to, yeah, seriously, yeah. For a long time, I had to visit this guy um, just yeah. to get that fixed. But that yeah, was I some childhood. Well. When I was about 16 years old. And then I started going to a really serious massage therapist as well. And I remember people asking me, why do you need a massage therapist? Why do you need to go? And I was like, because I have a lot of tension in my shoulders and in my back from constantly shouldering other people's needs and constantly holding my own in. And now I need to let it go. (laughs) Now's the time. (laughs) What's really funny is when you say that to someone and then witness their response, because they're usually just like, oh, well, that makes sense. (laughs) 
We've got a um, we've got a statement here from Deva which talks about belly breathing, and I'd like to bring this up with you as well. Um, she said that we're taught in Western culture to hold it in our bellies, especially women. I'm not too familiar with that one. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts um, about that particular statement? About holding it all in, I'd say yeah. yeah I'd say there definitely mean? is. A, pardon. Oh, I'm just curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So, like, automatically when I think of that, the thing that I think is, let's say a man has a really bad day and he comes home to his wife. He might be like a little bit upset. He might punch a wall. You know, like think about like stereotypical angry man kind of person. That's very much like a symbol that we might have in our head in Western culture, whether or not that person actually exists. You know, that's not most people, but that's an idea that we have. And then you think about stereotypical woman that we might have a symbol of in our head. She's at home. She's very put together. She's going to shoulder his needs. She's going to take care of him. She's going to hold the family together. Whether or not that woman actually exists in Western homes is very different than our idea of how Western society sees women. Right, because society as a whole is the, a bigger picture of symbols of what we've had to be throughout the past. Right, so typical man and typical woman that we're constantly trying to break out of now is very much still a symbol from the Industrial Revolution when men had to go out and do a lot more of the work. Women did join the workforce, but majorly women manned the home because at that point, everyone needed to pitch in in a very organized way like that. And now we're fortunate enough where we've moved far, far enough away from those wars that we can now break out of those roles a little bit more. Um, but when it comes to being women and holding in our emotions, I would say ultimately it comes back to that shadow work piece where it's okay for us to be destructive and chaotic. And I think a lot of the time we put pressure on ourselves to not seem crazy, to not seem emotional when we're expressing our needs. I think ultimately a lot of us aren't taught language to describe our feelings. Like I, I have a client right now and something that we're working on is language to articulate feeling because she came in and she said um i'm feeling really shitty really i don't know if you're i'm allowed to swear on your podcast i'm very sorry 100 percent, you can it's all, open. all right yeah. perfect. Um, so they, came in and they said um i'm feeling really fucking shitty and now we're at a point where they'll come in and they'll say i'm frustrated and overwhelmed and it's making me feel pressurized right and that's a powerful way of describing things even because then you don't have to hold it all in because a lot of holding it all in, whether it's women or men, comes from not really being clear on exactly what word to use to describe how we're feeling. But as soon as you have a word to articulate it, it becomes a lot easier to understand and it becomes a lot easier to push out. So for example, myself as like, I would consider myself a very soft, sensitive girl, um, but I do have a dark, chaotic side. And how I really like to bring that out is I love to spin bike. And I haven't done it in years, but I love to box. I, I like to hit things. I like to destroy things. I like to feel strong. It makes me feel happy. And for me, that is the chaotic explosive release that I need instead of holding it all in. So if I find I'm holding it all in, I know that what I really need to embody is a bit more of that destructive side in a safe way. Otherwise, it's going to come out in my relationships. So I would say, yeah, if you're, if you're the kind of person that's holding everything in right now, Maybe consider a way that you can intentionally and very safely release that pressure in a way that makes that chaoticness feel okay for you. That is very sage advice. Um, very, very useful because it's true. Not having an outlet um, can really destroy a lot of people. You know, like if you're working your nine to five and if you are frustrated with your life and you're not having an outlet apart from like maybe watching Netflix or doing some, you know, other activity. 
that isn't helping you take that out from yourself, then that's just going to build up over time. And, you know, it's a very difficult scenario because finding an outlet is a hard thing because finding an outlet will require effort from your behalf, right? But when you find that outlet, it's going to change everything. So like you mentioned, you love to box. I love to box too. It's awesome. But going in the gym, training, just doing things to move your body and like really pushing yourself 100% even more is a great outlet. Because like there is no way that if you're feeling frustrated and you go and train or you go and fight or you go and roll or something like that, you're going to come out of it still feeling frustrated. You're going to feel amazing. It's just the way things are. Yeah. Another, another really powerful one that I do like to encourage is a release of chaotic energy that wants to be destructive. That's very sharp. That's very potent. That's very much a shadow. That also doesn't have to be something destructive. Like I, I don't even know what I'd call it. I don't know if I'd call it dance, if I'd call it yoga. Um, but I do something where I very much, I'll get into a room, I'll put on music that I like to move to, and I will honestly just let myself flow around. And I'll do that for as long as I need to. And sometimes I do it for five minutes, sometimes I do it for 15, sometimes I do it for 20. And sometimes it ends with crying, and sometimes it ends with me feeling ecstatic. But exactly like this person saying in the comments, like shaking it out, literally shaking energy out of your body. In between coaching calls, I will literally shake my body. I'll do headstands, I'll dance around, I'll put on music. And that's also very much an immediately accessible way of releasing chaotic energy. It's also a way of moving energy through your body, right? You can give yourself more happy energy by moving around because what you give is what you get. When you start to give more energy out, you're going to get more of it. So if it's a chaotic energy, you're going to release it. And if you're trying to embody a more happy energy, you're just going to accentuate that so much more. So yeah, you definitely like, you don't have to go out and buy a gym membership. You don't have to start boxing. But if you're if you're finding yourself as the kind of person that likes to hold it all in, it's immediately accessible to start diffusing that. Mm. It's getting your nervous system flowing and really starting to get the creative yeah. juices flowing and making yourself feel better. And, you know, that's the first yeah. step. And, you know, this is really segued into something um, that as, as you were speaking, it was starting to really formulate my mind the pathway of this conversation. And, yeah. you know, it's like a lot of people, once they might reach a certain point where, you know, they've kind of become aware of the familial patterns and how that flows. And, you know, they're starting to really change themselves. You know, well, what are your thoughts on intergenerational trauma and, you know, you know, over generations of people that do not have this information, they're perpetuating this. What are your thoughts on intergenerational trauma and how it can be stopped by becoming aware of these patterns? I think it's definitely present a lot more than people realize. Um, I know for me in particular, my, Grandma was a child of war. Her dad was a soldier. And so maybe my great-grandfather being a soldier seems very far removed from me. And maybe if you have a similar kind of family member or anyone watching you have a family member where it was a great-grandparent was in the war, they went away and they came back not the same. And that wasn't just something that happened in families. That was like a mass societal thing. That was a world scale. Like even right now with COVID in the past couple of years, we're going to have intergenerational trauma that we passed down if we're not consciously integrating and diffusing it right now, right, which is a large part of how we got into this practice as well. The, like a lot changed when everyone had to go inside. Everyone stopped being able to touch the outside world and really look inward. And if you weren't doing that, a lot of dark shit came up. Um, but so when we're thinking about intergenerational trauma right now, if we have great grandparents that come home from the war or they have dark, scary experiences, they're gonna treat their kids that way. And their kids are our grandparents who raised our parents. 
So let's say we have, um, I know from my family, for example, my great grandfather came home. He was very cool. My grandma got married. She wanted to get out of her house. She wanted her kids to have a good life. She wanted them to not ever feel the pressure that she felt. She wanted them to feel very safe and very secure. And at some points that might've led to her being a little too easy on them and a little too easy on herself. And I know because of her trauma, there's a lot that's kind of manifested there. And particularly that carried down from my grandma into my dad, into me with really unhealthy food pattern coping mechanisms. So different ways of using food to kind of numb the pain to not really look at what was going on. Again, that's when we get really into shadow work. Or if we go to my mom's side, my grandma on my mom's side grew up in a French Catholic community. And so way back generations, French Catholic, French Catholic, French Catholic. So my mom's mom was very rooted in this idea of external social approval and having a certain level of wealth and being presentable to the outside world. And so my mom counters that by being completely chaotic and sporadic and not really focusing on what other people think. And so ultimately when it comes to carrying down the intergenerational trauma, it really depends on the person. Like sometimes we're gonna learn the pattern and we're gonna carry it on. Sometimes we're gonna go the opposite direction of the pattern and we're gonna break it. But sometimes that makes the next person in the generational line realize that there's something a little off, right? So my mom hasn't really ever cared what people think about her but her whole family has really cared. And so I look at both of those things and I think, okay, well, both ends of that extreme don't really work. And I'm the one that's really focused on doing this inner work because I'm, I'm born in a beautiful time where there's very little violence. There's a lot of opportunity for me to pursue whatever I want. The internet makes it super easy for me to do what I love. And so I get to really sit with that family pattern. I have the time, I have the space, like I'm even working in nine to five and I've got the time and space. So you can do this literally whenever. But you can start to look at the patterns that have played out in your family. And I'd say like a really powerful thing is understand your family history, ask tough questions and make it okay for there to be tough answers because family secrets ruin lives. I am 100% a big believer that if there are secrets lurking in the closet of your family in like, like the bluntest way that I can put it, People in your family are going to die with those secrets and you're not ever going to have access to them and you're going to have patterns that play out in your family that maybe you don't understand where they came from. So understanding the history of your family and making it really okay for them to share their experience and being there to hold them in that experience, that's not just good for you to understand them as people and understand where your patterns are coming from, but it's also really good for you to be able to show yourself how you are different and how things are going different. Um, I kind of, I kind of went like on a big tangent there. Do we want to go back to the question? Did I answer the question? I think you perfectly answered the question. You know, you talked a lot Good. about in the analogy of your life and showing how it's interplayed in your family. And that's pretty much answering the question in terms of how, when you become aware of a certain pattern, you can begin to undo it because you're looking back for it. And I think that's so important is being aware that people are doing certain things. And if you look back down the line, you're able to see destructive and positive habits and integrate whatever you want into yourself. But the only way that happens is if you yourself become aware first. And, you know, yeah. how did you become aware? How, how did that happen for you? Like, and what did that look like, that transition you into, you know, where you are today? <laughs> oh, that's a funny story. I'm going to, like, I'm going to be totally transparent about that story. Mm. 
my my mom and I got into huge fights. My mom and I got into screaming matches at home. And I was I was the only not autistic child in a family of three kids. And my mom openly told me, she's like, your dad and I have the biggest stress trying to figure out what to do with you. And my mom and I have had so many conversations where I'm like, there's stuff that you've said to me that you did not mean to say when you were in dark times. And she's like, I know, and I'm very sorry for that. And so it's it's fun, it's beautiful. Um, but we would get into big fights when I was a teenager. And I feel like it all culminated one night when we just got into a fight and she had said, leave my house. And I said, okay. And so I packed a bag and then I was going to. And then she said, no, you can't leave. You can't leave. And I said, you told me to. You need to be more careful with your words and the way that you speak to me. And I left and she called me trying to get me to come back to the house. And I said, I'm not coming back. She said, I'm going to call the police and they'll come get you. And I was like, no, they won't. They'll think you're silly. And it was kind of this big power dynamic shift where I realized at that moment, like I'm not a kid anymore and I have autonomy over myself. And then after that whole situation, I came back the next day after the whole situation cooled off. I had started to really have a better relationship with them towards the end of summer 2017 because I was about to go into university. And then right when I started university, I got into a way better relationship with both of them because I now was spending a lot more time independently, which meant my mom understood that I wasn't always going to be there, which I think we also needed that big fight at the end of the summer to really understand about each other because my mom and I had always kind of taken each other for granted until that moment. Um, but I also found that my dad was interested in a lot of academic ideas that I didn't know about. And so the big transition for me where I started to become aware of family patterns was my mom and I would talk a little bit more about the way we'd been throughout my childhood and a little bit more about what happened to her and what my perspective was, different parts of our family, different pieces that we learned, different pieces of friendships that we picked up. And my dad and I would sit on the front porch and we would smoke weed and we would talk about a philosopher or we would talk about a psychological idea that I was picking up. And my dad was really, for my first year of university, my dad was my study outlet. I was really, I am really good at studying. That's just, I didn't know I was until university and then I just decided I wanted to be and I was. Um, but I would talk about it a lot with my dad. And so this really nice combination happened where I was able to help my dad learn in a way that we could share together and that he could share with my mom so that my mom could learn more about me through my dad. I was able to connect a lot more with my mom and then share that with my dad, that my dad would connect more about pieces that I hadn't seen through my childhood about stuff that was going on between me and my mom, him and my mom, their outside lives, different family lives. And so I'd say like, yeah, it came, I started to become aware of my family patterns in the same way that I'd say anyone can, which is like I said, asking those questions. And just being really curious, like understanding these people in your family are people. And for their entire lives, they've been the main character of their life. And that is something that you can never underappreciate. They've had so many experiences and every single person you meet, whether it's family or not, has an amazing, interesting, intricate, detailed story that you can never get every single detail from. And it's so cool to learn about people. So you can even start to learn about family dynamics through other people's family. It doesn't even have to be yours, but just becoming more aware of the fact that those patterns are there and how people pick them up. I think that's a really powerful thing. Everyone always has someone to teach us. And, you know, first of all, I want to say thank you for sharing that candid story because that's really personal, but that story is very powerful as well. You know, mm -hmm. like going from a point of contention with your parents, especially your mother, to being able to have some familiar peace. And also I want to say, 
it's really interesting and cool that you and your father were able to smoke weed together and talk it out because you know when you smoke weed with someone who is you know unconditionally going to love you like your father you're going to be able to understand his world because weed is a really good way to you know openly communicate on your thoughts um and i yeah. think that's awesome because for myself I used to really really um struggle with drug addiction but i was outcasted by my entire family so i was literally just cast to the side nobody wanted anything to do with me um it was really bad for a long time so i found myself going into darker and darker areas hanging out with worse and worse people putting myself into like the pits yeah sorry i was saying yeah you start to find darker and darker areas to pursue that path because that part of yourself can't be integrated with your family it's not accepted and it's not like a safe space to pursue that and understand why it is that you're seeking it right exactly right and because of that you continue down a darker path because and then you know now things are really good you know especially since i've been sober for 2 years but first of all i think that it's awesome that you're able to have that with your father and you know even now like when you speak to him um you know do you still smoke weed with him and also how does that dynamic continue over time um whenever whenever i can smoke weed with my dad whenever i'm in the state too i like to um my dad was also i had asked him on the ride home from university one night i had said have you ever done psychedelic drugs and he said yes three times and he told me about an acid trip about a mushrooms trip and then he had asked me if i was curious if i was planning to and i just said openly i haven't i haven't yet but i would like to and i'm curious the dynamic between my parents now is very much one of openness and it's one where i've been really fortunate to be able to bring in my own boundaries into because parents will still try to parent you and that's also a big thing i notice with my clients too is maybe a parent is still treating you like a child even if you're independent even if you're a full grown full ass woman or full ass man parents will still try to parent you and there's a really powerful thing that can happen where you shift that dynamic in a really non-confrontational way and you let them know that they raised a good person and they can trust their work right and it never has to be about the ego it never has to be like why can't you trust me it's you did a really good job you can trust me and that's a totally different shift there but i will still share like all my ideas with my dad i honestly find one of my best therapeutic sessions happens when i'm doing the dishes with my dad and he's got like a podcast playing or it's music and we'll like pause and i'll tell him about my business ideas i'll tell him about friendships going on i'll tell him about like a mushroom trip that i recently had cuz my dad's gotten very very into that stuff like um we we didn't have legalized marijuana when my brother was growing up but my brother was on a very powerful antipsychotic for his autism and his doctor openly said like this is going to destroy his body in the long term i know i'm kind of getting off track but i do want to go into this no 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 continue, continue. um but well this is my dad's like this isn't okay because my child is being given a large pharmaceutical drug that's going to kill him in the long term and it's numbing his senses it's making him dull but i could really powerfully make a medication of my own with this plant that i can grow in my backyard And so my dad kind of had like a rebel phase where it wasn't completely legal yet and he was making his own tincture for my brother. He did a lot of research. He's very very smart when it comes to this stuff. Um and he made like a very powerful tincture for my brother that wasn't it wasn't getting him high. It wasn't doing anything like that. But it was really good and he was able to learn a lot through his mistakes. And so my dad to this day can still be a really powerful person to go to when it comes to understanding business ideas because he knows that there's going to be a lot of mistakes. He's also grown up in the restaurant industry where he's seen restaurants from open to close. 
So he knows a lot about decision making. Um, my dad is also the place that I go to for emotional support. I remember there was one night I was having a breakdown in the basement. I was like hitting a punching bag. And my dad comes down to tell me that like, your brothers are going to bed, you gotta be quiet. And he sees my face and I'm just crying. He goes, oh honey. And he comes and he gives me a big hug. But if I need someone to tell me like a blunt, honest, straightforward answer, I go to my mom, which is really fun. If I need like love, emotional support right to my heart, I cannot go to my mom for that because my mom will just be like, well, why are you struggling right now? That's such a dumb problem. What's going on? Like, why don't you just do this? That's not what I need right now, mom. I need love. But that like, it took me so long to recognize that dynamic because it wasn't until COVID that my dad was home a lot more. And it wasn't until university that I really started to be able to articulate my emotions. Like I didn't, I didn't know until university that my emotions were something I could interact with. I didn't know that my mental narrative was something that I could control or play with. Um, yeah. So the family dynamic to this day, I'd say is pretty good, but like, like anyone else, once you start getting older, it's, it's really good to, to decide what kind of relationship you want to have with those people instead of just, these are my parents. I'm the child. This is our dynamic. Long-winded answer. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great because um, you know these these details. One, you know, they're really in depth, and I appreciate you sharing this. And two, a lot of people are going to learn from it as well because it's very, very relatable. And you know, it might be perhaps even that you expected a more emotional connection with your mother to begin with, because one, that's kind of you know a certain construct that's put into our mind from society, but also you know, people are different. So for example, your father was more emotional. Your mother sounds more logical, just based on what you said, which is kind of like a flip yeah. dynamic in the male and the female, but that's not even rare. That's just the way it is. But especially if you're told your whole life that your mother's meant to be this certain way, your father's meant to be this certain way, it can be really rough because you might find yourself reaching to the wrong person um, for what you need at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think like in part it is a, like a social dynamic. I think a lot of it is also like moms have typically been at home. And like a lot a lot of what I'm realizing too is a lot of women that I'm talking to will recognize like they are more they're more soft, they're more emotionally connected. They want to have more conversations like that with people, right? Like think about a group of a group of girlfriends versus a group of guy friends. A group of girlfriends is gonna talk about our experience and other people and what we think about ideas and we're going to find like different things to gather with each other. That's kind of how I think about it. And then guys are maybe going to talk about like sports. They're probably not going to talk about their feelings as much. They might talk about something that they're going through right now, but they're going to talk about it more in like a plan of action kind of way. And mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of what I found at least in my life. Like at least, at least from the people that I hang out with when it comes to, kind of planning and emotionally connecting with each other a group of guys is more likely to go about it like here's my situation what's the plan of action what have you guys done what's going on whereas women are more likely to come at it like here's what's happening to me here's what's happening in my life what have you guys experienced and then it touches into different things which i think is really powerful because when we bring together both of those energies like the masculine and feminine we were talking about before we get really deep into okay how can i embody these emotions how can i connect with them and accept them and then how do I make that plan of action to go forward with it? So we definitely need both. But yeah, like you said, I think it's really good to tune in a little bit more like who is the powerful resource I can tap into for what I need right now. And that's something that, like I said, I learned like my dad is my emotional support. My mom is my logical support. It's powerful to have, you know, like that's two pillars in your life that you can go to at any time. 
And I think that's a, a beautiful thing to have. So we have a couple of questions. Actually, we have one question here from Deva. And she's mentioned, yeah. any suggestions on dealing with a parent who isn't open with emotions? I'll pass the floor over to you. Okay, a parent who isn't open about emotions. That's tricky because what we get into here is also you drawing the boundary of at what point do you need to kind of step away because you can't make them be open with their emotions. Um, I first say understand a little bit more of their context. How have they learned to be with their emotions in their past? Are they coming from a family where that's not okay or it's not safe? Um, maybe like a very high stress household that didn't have a lot of money where emotions were on the back burner because you needed to survive. That can especially be a big dynamic. They might still be in fight or flight from that. Um, I would say also, how are you approaching the conversation to them being open with their emotions? Because there's something that we can say, like, why can't we have this conversation? You're just getting so closed off. All I'm trying to do is talk to you right now and you're just not even listening. And it's like, wow, if you're talking to me like that, I'm not going to want to have a conversation with you personally, because what you've just done is you've closed off the dynamic from us being a team. And I'd say really like when you're trying to focus on helping your parent open up emotionally, there's a dynamic where one person's here and one person's here. And it's, I have a problem with this. You're just getting so closed off. Why aren't you listening to me? And then the other person's going to fight back. And then there's a dynamic where we're on the same side and it's, here's a problem that we need to work through together. And then you're trying to fix something and you're both focused on the problem, but not on each other. And then there's a dynamic where you're on the same team and you recognize, I want to talk to you about something right now. And it might get a little emotionally heavy. Is that something that you have space to hold right now? Do you have the energy for that conversation or should we plan that for another time? And that's especially something that I like to encourage too, is letting the other person opt into the conversation because then you're inviting them on your team in a non-confrontational way. And remembering that there's never a problem you're trying to fix. Like someone not being emotionally open is not a problem. That's not something you need to fix. That is something that they've learned to do. That's something that is a truth in their world that's keeping them safe, that's making them feel okay. And being able to understand where that's coming from, from their perspective, with no need for your agenda or your ego to get involved, that's when they're really going to feel safe to open up to you. So I would say learning more about them, asking them lots of questions, and really making it clear in a non-self-centric kind of way, why being emotionally open is something that's gonna benefit both of you. Because a lot of the time what we do come at it with is our needs. I need you to be emotionally open. I need to hear more from you. I need you to stop focusing on you. And it's like, why am I the only one trying to fix all these things when you're the one bringing up the conversation, right? So maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit of tough love encouraging you to look at the dynamic that you're approaching this so-called problem with. And really, like we said, throwing it back to the beginning of the conversation, allowing yourself to be the embodiment of the emotional openness that you want to see with that person as well. I hope that answers the question. That's a very powerful response. You know, being able to let someone really be themselves and give them that space. And it's very similar to even what we do as coaches, right? Is that, you know, we don't just fully talk mm -hmm. at someone because that's not the purpose of coaching. Like, you know, I think I've mentioned this many times to a lot of my clients is that I don't tell you what to do. I don't go at you because that's not my job, right? My job is to listen, understand, validate and propose a plan of action without me saying that is your plan of action, right? Like that's, that's actually coaching. And like a lot of the time, if you want someone to tell you what to do, get a teacher, but a coach is very similar to what you've just mentioned there. So I think that's, um, that's great compounding. Yeah. Now, 
you know, in terms of, you know, let's say somebody now has gone through this journey, they've been able to work through their own, you know, shortcomings. They've been able to really look back into the past, bring themselves out yeah. of it, you know, de-entrench themselves. And now they're at a point where, you know, they're a lot more free. They're a lot more viable. What next for them? You know, what does that person do now? Like, let's say, for example, their family isn't going to change because as we both know, you can never change someone until they themselves want to change. And that's cool. But what does that person do if they find they can no longer associate with their family? It's a little bit difficult for them. What is the future thing they could do? What's the plan of action? If you find that you're at that spot where you can no longer associate with your family and you continue to do so, anything that happens is, is not going to be your fault, but it's going to be your responsibility because you're allowing yourself to continue to be a battery that they're siphoning off, whether that's what they know they're doing or not. But I know in particular, one of my clients that I've worked with in the past, her family has relied very heavily on her for most of her life. And that's a dynamic she's really powerfully changing right now by understanding some stuff that happened. But the main thing that we worked on, which it sounds like it could be very similar to this question. And the main thing we worked on was if you're constantly there for other people that are taking advantage of you in a way that doesn't feel good for you, it feels energy draining not only are you not empowering yourself to be at your full energy and to be at your best, but you're also not letting other people find their own empowerment to be problem solvers on their own. And in a way you're coddling them, you're letting them use you. You're letting them learn that other people are always going to be there to solve your problems. And like, God forbid you disappeared tomorrow. What would they do? And that's what some people will say. Like if I disappeared tomorrow, what would this person do without me? And that's a really good sign that maybe you're not letting that person take enough responsibility over their life and over their solutions as they should be. So if you're at that point where you can no longer associate with your family, you don't have to cut them off. Like, I think that's a really stupid idea in self-development and in coaching is as soon as you get a bad relationship, you know, cutting people off left and right. It's like, hold on. What if we could just choose to take a pause on that chapter and have that character be in the background of the main story for a little bit while we pursue this character's main arc. And maybe that person comes back into the narrative at some point. But I would say largely, like, you do need to step away from the relationships that you don't want once you're becoming the embodiment of who you want to be to start finding more people that you do want. And I'd say a big practice that I've done before was um, I wrote out one time, who do I want to date? Who do I want to marry? Who do I want as my best friend? And I wrote out every single detail I could think of, like as, as shallow as what color is their hair to as deep as like, where are they hanging out on a Friday night? Where do they get concerned about on like a, like a Saturday when they're alone at home? And so, because I really wanted to know, I was like, what kind of people do I genuinely want to connect with? And then through that, that's also like, okay, are you connecting with yourself in those ways? Are you going first? Are you being the embodiment? Are you integrating those pieces that you want to see in other people into yourself? So really getting clear on the kind of, you don't have to go that deep. I like, I like to go deep into stuff. You don't have to go that deep. Um, but getting clear on the kind of person that you want to hang out with instead, going to the places that they hang out. Like, let's say you want to meet creative artsy writer people, go to a cafe where they're going to be like, don't just stay at home watching Netflix and thinking about, Oh, I wish my friends will come to me. I like, maybe I'll meet them at work. Maybe I'll meet them one day, go to the places that they're going to be and look for them. Compliment people on something genuine. Like I really like your skirt. Where did you get it? That's super cool. Do you shop there often? Wow. I do too. That's really neat. What's your name? Wow. This is my name. Do you want to have coffee? You know, I'm just throwing it out there. Like, 
it, it's so powerful to go first. A lot of the time we think that our community is just going to find us. But if we go out and we just accept the fact that, yeah, we can be embarrassed while we do it and we can be scared, that's how we build relationships. It's going to be so powerful. And then a lot of the time, being really embodied and integrated with your true self in that direction, being really connected to your true community, is how the people who have previously been in your life understand now how they need to show up for you instead of you trying to fix them, which I think is a really big piece of the puzzle that we so often miss. That is a great plan of action, Emma, is being able to determine where your ideal uh, relationships lie, whether it's friends or what you said as well with finding your ideal partner. That's really interesting because that sounds like so detailed. And my question is like, do you have that right now? I was a bit curious when you were saying that. Have you like manifested that for yourself? Yeah, so... <laughs> The, the, really, the really funny thing was, so I, I took a gap year between high school and university, and there, I think there's actually someone watching who was working with me at the place that I was working during that time. But I started doing um, some really deep inner work about six months before university, because I realized, like, I was about to meet my future partner and my future friends at university, because that's where everyone's a bit more self-expressionate, a bit more open, we've got more freedom. And I thought, wow, I wouldn't even want to be friends with me, let alone date me, because I don't like who I am right now. And I thought, wow, like, I am going to continue to attract these people who take advantage of me and don't care about me and don't celebrate me, because I'm being the person that they're going to be friends with. And the simplest thing that I can do is swap that. And the really, the really powerful thing that I like to tell people is so often we don't want to accept that we can be the source of our own frustration. And so often we're told you should love and accept yourself for exactly who you are. And it's like, no, no, you should look at yourself and you should say, do I like who I am? Do I like who I'm attracting? Do I like the stuff that's in my life right now? And if not, how can I be a little bit different to make sure that I'm going in that direction? But I remember going back to the question, um, I had said to my friend in the new year of like 2018, I looked at her while we're driving and I was like, I think I'm ready to meet the guy that I end up with. I think that I've done some inner work. I think that I'm at a point where I understand who it is that I want and how I need to be respected. And I'd really like to be challenged in that way. And I'd really like to connect intimately with someone and be in my long-term relationship. I think I'm ready for that. And she's like, all right, good luck. Good luck with that. Yep, have fun. And then three weeks later, I was talking to the guy who's now my husband. We've been together for almost, I think it's going to be five year or one year anniversary is coming up next month so that that tells you enough we've been together for a long time but yeah it was it was and he had been trying to talk to me through the whole first half of university and I was like no I'm studying and he would compliment me or he'd ask me to dinner he'd ask me the movies and I'd be like I I can't I'm doing this I'm doing this because I knew I wasn't ready for a relationship and if that was actually going to be a good relationship I would either find him again at some other point or I would find someone who was a little bit different for me at a better point once I had gone through what I needed to go through. But I really needed to honor the thing that I felt in myself and not just think, wow, this guy's kind of cute and he's interested in me. I should go for him. I was like, wow, this guy's kind of cute and he's interested in me. And I'm at a point where I really need to conclude some things in myself before I'm ready for that emotional relationship. And what I think is really funny is he actually came back into my life after we had stopped talking for a while. And like, obviously now we're married. We have a dog together. It's great. Um, yeah, so it, it does work. And like, it, it felt crazy. I was like, I can, I can manifest this. This is fine. I'm going to you know, open myself to this relationship. But I also went to the places 
that he would be hanging out. Like I didn't intentionally go looking for him at this point. I was just integrated in the environment where I wanted to meet people. Um, we had met at university. We had ended up in two of the same classes in our second semester because we had similar interests. And so our paths kept crossing. So it's very much once you start to, once you start to peel back layers of pieces of yourself that aren't you and you start to let these pieces shed away and you find who your true self is and you really start to become more authentic you're automatically by doing that inner work going to end up in the environment where you are attracting the things that you want in your life because you're just living and being the embodiment of the kind of lifestyle that you want which means you're 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 already surrounded by those things and that's the point where manifestation gets to be very easy which is a whole other conversation. I could talk about manifestation for like four days straight. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about it. So, you know, manifestation is a powerful thing and it's something that I've been studying a lot recently. I've been talking to a friend of mine in America. We've been talking a lot about it. But also, um, you know, him and I were speaking yesterday and we were talking about how the law of attraction is uncanny in terms of certain things where you want it. It can just align in that way. And as you mentioned before, um, you know, when you're in that right situation, it's almost like it comes together. Well, for someone that is yeah. trying to build a law of attraction in their life towards something they want, how would they go about it? And, you know, what process might they follow? I, I want to just say, first and foremost, the law of attraction, people will think is, I'm going to manifest money and it comes to me, or I'm going to manifest love and it comes to me. But the law of attraction, <clears throat> excuse me, it follows the rule of basically what the rolling stones i think it's the rolling Stones song you can't always get what you want sometimes you get what you need and that's a big thing that i see people making mistakes in is they're like i'm putting out the good vibes i'm a good person i'm just gonna kick back and give it all to god i'm gonna send a little prayer out there for everything to come to me and i'm just gonna hope that things get better and then they don't take small action to manifest what they want they don't hold the vibration of the person they want to become and when a challenge comes to them, because that's the law of attraction too, a challenge will come to you if that's what you need to overcome, to start being the person that can now have what you want. When we get hit with that challenge, instead of saying, oh, I thought I wanted my blessing, but instead I got a challenge to prove that I'm ready for this blessing. And once I'm past the challenge, I'm going to get that blessing tenfold because now I'm the person that can actually handle it. I can integrate it. When a challenge happens, we'll say, the law of attraction is bullshit. It's not working. I'm not manifesting things. Why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. What's going on in my life? And we start to self-victimize, which is a big thing that I do in my work, right, with leadership and embodiment. The, my main focus is self-leadership because you can't lead any other people unless you're a self-leader. And majorly, being a self-leader is ultimately what every single leader in the world is doing. It's being able to understand, how can I adapt to this challenge right now? And really accepting the fact that manifestation isn't something that's either not happening or it's an event that's just happened in your life. It's something that's always unfolding. It's something that's always present. And it's not even something that we have to tap into. It's just something that's there. You are constantly attracting whatever is meant for you and whatever you're ready for, right? Everything in the world is made of atoms. Atoms are vibrational, magnetic. Everything works in this magnetic field. And I'm not like an astrophysicist. I don't understand like the deep, deep laws of it. But basically everything is magnetic. Everything has a magnetic current. And so I believe that you have basically the sphere of magneticism and energy around you and everything that is meant to come into your life and everything that's meant to leave is kind of orbiting around your magnetic field and that integrates with other people's magnetic fields. 
But basically, if there's a challenge that's come on your path, no matter how hard it is, it's something you're meant to learn from. It's something you're meant to integrate. I don't think that you can ever make a wrong step. And I think that's what some people get afraid of when it comes to manifestation. Like, I need to manifest this thing right now. And then they don't take action because they're afraid of taking the wrong action and not getting what they want. But you're always going to get what you need. So I think when it comes to manifestation, if you're really trying to tap into that, Think about the ways that you're being challenged right now in your life and maybe the ways that you're not fully accepting the way that you're being challenged and the way that you might be self-victimizing and thinking, why does this keep happening? Why do I keep falling into this pattern? Or if you're at a point where everything seems to be manifesting really well and beautifully, don't take that for granted. Think about how you can build in systems to keep doing the stuff that got you to this point. Otherwise, you're going to take it for granted, you'll enjoy the manifestation, and then you'll kind of slip back into the spot where you're not really feeling that same kind of synchronicity. I hope that makes sense. I think that was a, a big answer. <laughs> no, it was very concise. I mean, the law of attraction in itself is complex because, you know, we call it the law of attraction, but realistically, an entire universe has to shift for it to be able to occur in that way. And the way which you've concisely put it is that by making those little shifts in your life and becoming the person that can handle all those things that you want makes a lot of sense because let's say for yeah. example, you know, um, you wanted to be a CEO of a massive company like, I don't know, like Amazon or whatever, but let's say you weren't training your mind, you weren't putting in the work, you know, you weren't building up your ability to deal with frustration. You had a low frustration tolerance, et cetera. You wouldn't be able to deal with that. You wouldn't be able to handle that. So you know, life, exactly. So life kind of throws at you, events that will always make you stronger as you know one of my favorite things that I've, I've read is the obstacle is the opportunity every obstacle has an opportunity for you to develop in some way or form but if you see it as an obstacle then it's always going to weigh you down and you're just going to walk away from it and go down an easier path so the easier path is never the path that's going to take you to where you want to go the path less traveled is for you and if you take the harder path with the harder choices that can be the law of attraction working in your favor because at the end of that is something that you may have always wanted, but you may have never seen. And, you know, the reason I speak about this is not from theory, but even from my own life, you know, like what I do today would not be possible if I didn't go through eight years of drug addiction. Like yeah. I would never have understood myself or been able to go through all that or even empathize with other people or things like that. If I didn't go through that, because eight years ago when I first started, when I was 17, I was the most unaware unconscientious literally just a little monster in his head that's the person i yeah. was i was a piece of shit and over time i began to learn so much about myself to the point of where i'm today I'm not, I'm not even close to being where i want to be because at the end of the day life is always changing and flowing and we're both pretty young right so at the end of the day life is long you know what i mean so we're always growing always changing but yeah that's the part of it law of attraction gives you what you want even if you may not realize that you have it yeah, and I think part of it is with the law of attraction and with family dynamics and with being a job and with literally everything, it's also really good to reframe how we're thinking about challenge and that obstacle. Because like you, I like what you said there, where if you've got an obstacle and you see it as an obstacle, you're not going to surpass it. You're going to go the other way and you're going to miss out on the opportunity that's on the other side. I think we often think as challenge is something we need to overcome. And that feels like a lot of effort that I just really don't want to do. Like I'm fine to put effort into things. I'm a hard worker. I've got an insane work ethic and I love putting effort into things that are worth it. But when it comes to overcoming something that feels a lot harder 
than understanding it. And I think that's really where we get to understand the law of attraction a little bit better is any challenge that's there, any obstacle that you're facing is not something that you have to overcome. Like it's not something you have to leap over. It's something that you get to look at, puzzle out, and then it dissolves. And that's a subtle shift that we get to make when we think about problem solving, where instead of trying to overcome this big insurmountable thing, it's really something that if we understand the aspects of it that make it a puzzle, if we understand why it's there, we start to understand the foundation of it. We understand kind of how to break it apart instead. It's like, um, imagine like a hurdle made of Lego blocks, trying to jump over that and you just take, take the blocks off instead and then it's gone and then you just walk straight through. That's so much easier than having to, having to throw yourself over this challenge. Exactly. It's, a, it's less resistance against yourself in the long term. You know, like yeah. working towards something is, might be difficult, but at the end of the day, taking away that underlying resistance makes it easier to fall into that path. So, you know, I want to say thank you, Emma, for this conversation. It's been amazing. Yeah. You know, we've spoken about all kinds of things. And, you know, I hope the audience, whoever's listening in or who will listen later on the podcast, will gain a lot of value mm -hmm. from it because certainly I've gained a lot of value from it. And I think it's just been awesome in general. So, you know, before we do finish up, I'd just like to say, would you like to say anything about your coaching or about yourself or what you do? Um, I'll give the floor to you. Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to find me and connect, I do have my own podcast that's on Spotify and Apple, and it's called the Searching Soul Podcast. I mainly talk about entrepreneurship, relationships, communication, boundaries, manifestation, all that kind of stuff. It is a supplement to my coaching program. So if you want free information, go to my podcast. I love to host people. I love to answer questions. If you ever have something you want me to specifically answer, I'd love to talk about it on there. When it comes to coaching, I do have one-on-one -on -one sessions. So if you're looking for a one-off high-level mentorship to get a soundboard, to have a place to bounce ideas off of, just to be really held and supported, that's something that I can do. But I am also in the process of putting together my second one-on-one -on -one coaching program. I did have one I just ran, which I will still be offering. You can always ask me about that one too. But what I'm really leaning into working with now in this October is true self-integration. So everything we've talked about today, understanding where your family dynamics come from, your understanding of God and spirituality and the universe, how that affects your ability to get what you want, understanding your self-perception, really trying to tap into that vibrational energy to manifest what it is that you want and to really capitalize on your potential as a human being. Because I believe every single human being is capable of achieving what they want. I think confusion is something that we label when we're uncomfortable with the consequence and really understanding why it is that we want something lets us tap into our intuition where we don't have to be confused. It doesn't have to be hard. It gets to be very easy. So if you want to hear a little bit more about that, send me a message on Instagram and I'd love to connect. Yeah. Check out Emma's page. She posts some really cool content and I just want to address a few things. Um, the audience has mentioned. So first of all, welcome to the conversation, Chris. Unfortunately, we're just about to end, bro, but you will catch the last few bits. Um, and I will be posting the replay on Instagram. Thank you, Deva and Stella for attending. And Stella, I just want to say, um, I do this every fortnight. So if you've missed the earlier bit of the conversation, it will be out on Instagram for a replay. But yeah, I do this every fortnight. And Emma and I also have a conversation on her podcast, which is really cool. Um, what was the name of it? It was about um, ego, was sobriety. Yeah, and, and the nature the of the universe. That's the one. <laughs> I remember reading that when you sent the draft to me and I was like, that's going to be good. You know, that has to be good. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Yeah, it was awesome. But uh, yes, 
So once again, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure hosting you. And thank you to all the audience as well who have joined. Um, We will be doing this again in two weeks. So until then, take care and I'll see you all soon. And see you later, Emma. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Mind Access Connection. It's been an absolute pleasure having you here. If you would like to view the Instagram Live replay, you can do so from my Instagram handle, Mind Access Life Coaching. If you would like to learn more about my work, feel free to check out my website in the links below, mindaccesslifecoaching.com.au, where you can explore more of my work, grab my free ebook, and also learn more about my media appearances. And that's all for now. Till next time.